Welcome to the Fitness Devil Podcast, and today we have two returning guests. We're really excited to have Brad Dieter on and Mike T. Nelson. We're kind of bringing them back on specifically to talk about their upcoming seminars. Mike T. Nelson has one in Vancouver in about three weeks, and then Brad has the Inland Empire Fitness Conference in Spokane in April, and then they're both speaking in Costa Rica. But we kind of touch on that a little bit, but what we do kind of end up talking about is this idea between... Um, having emotional support structures in your life and kind of the skills that they've built in their career to build them where they're at right now. And then we kind of tie it all together in a conversation about free information, why presenting is is going to give people a better look at what some of these people are doing. And then just kind of the balance between as professionals, how do you get into speaking? Where does free content play in your development? And how do you charge for stuff? And I think that one of the things is we talk about is it ends up becoming a PSA on why you should support fitness professionals, but really it gives an inside look at to what some of these professionals really do hold dear to their hearts in terms of morals and ethics in this industry and why it's important for us as enthusiasts and as fit pros ourselves to support them. So before I go, I want to say share this rate this if you liked it. And one of the cool things is if you post on Facebook and tag either Andrew or myself, we can actually share it on our thing and it helps get the word out. And I think that any form of support that you can give as a listener, we greatly appreciate it. But I hope you enjoy this one. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the show, guys. I hope everybody's having a great day. No, I normally don't talk like that when I open up episodes, so some rambling bullshit. But we've actually got two PhDs coming on the show today. We always talk about how many PhDs we've had. So we've got both Mike T. Nelson and Brad Dieter, PhD, returning. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep into the rest of their qualifications. Uh, you can find that on other podcast episodes. They've both been here before. It's like Mike said off air. It's going to take us half the fucking episode just to go through all of the educational shit these two have done in their careers. And they're both still pretty young guys too. So, all right. So we've got you guys back. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. Welcome back both of you guys. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah. I'm excited to be back on. Who's younger? Is it Mike? I'm 44. <laughs> Andrew, you might be the oldest. No, no, I'm 40. Oh. Mike's got me by a few years. Oh, I think I'm the oldest. How old are you, Brad? 30. You're only 30? Oh. He's a baby. You're the youngest. <laughs> yeah, but you should see how much gray I've got in my hair now. It's getting bad. Oh, well, that's all the schooling. That's all the schooling you do. Like, all that stress. You know? I yeah. I hair until I started my PhD program. Like well, I didn't have a single gray hair until I uh, started my fellowship, which is oddly yeah. enough the same day I met my wife. So we don't know what caused it. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, we were talking off air about, um, when we won't talk too much about keto, but how the trend for keto has been going up over the year. And maybe that's like the, the gray hairs are kind of going up with the keto search trends on Google. Huh? Yeah, you know, there's that website, uh, Spurious Correlations. We should have tracked my gray hair and and put uh, Google Trend Keto research or search terms and see if they track together over time. It was just I'm gonna make up fake email addresses and start emailing you now. <laughs> <laughs> just keto questions, like super specific, because you are you like know a lot about it. <laughs> just... <laughs> The PDH enzyme when I do keto. Am I really screwing myself? 
Uh, and and here, we, here we said we weren't going to talk about keto or any of that sort of stuff on this episode. Thanks, Dean. That was well, no, it, it, would be, it would be funny just to picture, like, that email getting sent to Brad and Brad, like, having to, like, answer it because it, it could be, like, potential sale. Whatever, it could be potential for someone to work with you and you, he's going to send you 10 of those a day and you'll have to, like, really research it. Oh, it'd be great. I'll just do, like, a reverse IP lookup or something and find it's from the same person. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Well, before we digress, what's on the menu today? <laughs> well, uh, keto is not on the menu, but, uh, well, we actually, let's see, what have I got here? Okay, so you guys both completed PhDs. We sort of noted that, and you guys have actually both had a lot of success in the fitness industry, and, and both early on, like at fairly young ages, too, and that continues. So I wanted to see what the specific behaviors were that contributed getting you guys where you are. So, you know, a few of the notes I thought about concepts like, deliberate practice or you know your time management strategies even <clears throat> the things you've done in the social media realm to grow following and i wanted to hear from each of you guys what's led to a lot of your success you can start with who wants to take this one first i'll let mike start <laughs> yeah oh, we'll let the go. oldest start <laughs> um i mean a couple of things like obviously going when i went back to school and did my phd i was i guess older at that time i started it when i was 30 32 33 um and by that point i was working part-time for a medical device company which i stayed with even though an advisor yelled at me every day to stop my other job but uh, i was supporting my my wife at the time we got married a few years into my phd program i had all my health insurance all that kind of stuff so wasn't really much of an option. And then I thought I was going to be done earlier than what I was. So I hired a business coach and started doing more uh, fitness training. And then my PhD took four years longer than it was supposed to. So that was quite an interesting nightmare. Um, but the thing was that I learned with it is just prioritizing. And I mean, for training, I literally had four places I could train. I kept a kettlebell under my desk at the University of Minnesota. I was literally doing swings in the lab sometimes at like 10 o'clock at night. I could go to the university rec room. I had a punch pass at another gym that was halfway between my home and the gym. And then I started converting my garage into a gym. So just by having that option of other places to go, even if I had a very short amount of time, you know, that <clears throat> kind of kept me sort of sane, I guess you could say. And just in terms of prioritizing, trying to look at schedules and a big part with that, too, is realizing that little things are going to happen and stuff is going to get dropped. That's just kind of the the nature of it. And then I would say fast forwarding from there, I did try to still keep out as much content as I could. And I think that was beneficial because especially one of the benefits of being in the lab, and Brad knows this, too, is that you're just constantly exposed to all sorts of stuff. I mean, the very first blog post I ever wrote back on Blogger in like, I don't even know, many years ago now, it seems like, um, I was just having me hanging out in the lab taking classes, and they're like, hey, um, what burns more calories, running on a treadmill for 30 minutes or walking, right? So if you equate them to kind of the same movement, is you know Epoch and other things like that uh, useful? Now, at the time, there wasn't much data on it, and we're all kind of sitting in the lab staring at each other, and I'm like... Why don't we just test a couple of people? We got like $40,000 of two metabolic carts here and two treadmills. I mean, it's pilot data, but there wasn't any research on it. So it was like one of the first uh, blog posts I, I wrote up about it. 
So being exposed to content all the time, I think, was beneficial. And part of the writing process for me was just getting thoughts out of my head. I mean, even back when I had the blogger site, when I cut it off, I had 343 articles that I never published. <laughs> what? <laughs> that were like in some form of, you know, completely undoneness that I just never finished. And so now I've actually killed two websites. The last time I killed my other website, I had almost 400 articles I never published. And even now, if you go to my Evernote, I started a full of uh, articles I should finish at some point. And there's like 500 things in what? there. <laughs> Did they just like change? Or like you just didn't like them? Part of it is I have this bad habit of starting stuff and not getting it to the point where I feel like it's finished enough to put out there. And for me, like editing is very different than writing. Like I can write and I found I have to write a sort of just a stream of consciousness, get it out, get it on paper, get it in the computer. And for me to edit best, I have to save it and then edit it usually the next day. Or if I have to edit the same time, I will literally change my environment. Like I work at a co-working place sometimes where I'll write, I'll come home after I lift at my kitchen table, and then I will edit at that point. Um, and now actually my wife helps me with some of the editing stuff. So I'll tell her, I'm like, okay, this is only like 80%. I know it's kind of crappy, but I just need someone else to look at it for a couple of days and then kick it back to me. I'll look at it again and then uh, publish it. <clears throat> So I've gotten better, but even then, still a bunch of stuff kind of falls through the cracks where it's like, oh, I should add more research to this. Uh, it's like 60% done, but I'm getting better at just sending it to her and she can be like, yeah, this whole paragraph does, doesn't even make any sense. Here's a list and then of I kind of know what to fix instead of just hyper analyzing everything forever. Here's a list of 500 papers I wrote, Jody. You, yeah. yeah this is oh, totally ter do that that doesn't work so well this is terrifying because we talked last time on your podcast about how you're prolific and how you're sending out emails almost daily and writing all this stuff to think you have that much unfinished stuff it's funny it's sort of something i've started to get into because only recently did i like well, last six months put up a website started writing articles for it working on some other ideas and yeah i do the same thing on a much much lesser scale where I write a bunch of stuff and then like put it down uh, and then haven't necessarily gone back and finished a few things. But I think it's a really good idea too to do this. Um, when I train clients, I have a tablet. So that's something I believe very strongly in. I hate seeing trainers on their phones. That just looks bad. You could literally be putting programs into your phone. You look like you're texting your girlfriend. You could be yeah. on the tablet. You could be texting your girlfriend. It looks like you're actually putting in notes about your training. So it's like sports <laughs> presentation. But it's still it's it's a way people perceive it. But side note is I always if if a conversation comes up with a client and I'm like, hey, fuck, that would actually make a really good Facebook post or yep. a good article that I immediately write it down because you will forget it. Don't even try to pretend like you're going to remember this shit. Get it down immediately. And that's a really good way to come up with content creation ideas. And I've been doing that shit for years with Facebook stuff. Um, Brad. Yeah, I was going to say, Brad, how many papers do you have in, in the note in the OneNote or Evernote? Yeah, you know what's interesting is I think Mike and I share a lot of similarities, but I think that's probably one area where like our style is different, right? So I I probably only have two or three pieces that are unfinished. Um, Ooh, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, we like, differ. I finish things. <laughs> no, it's, not, it's not that. It's more like um, like my writing process is a lot different, right? So. Like if I have an idea, I don't just sat, sit down and start writing. I think about it for six months, 12 months, <laughs> and then I start writing. 
right? Because that's just that's just my style. Is because I'm always coming coming across things that are like, oh, I thought I knew this, but I don't. And so I'm always like in my mind, you know, piecing together like uh, like ideas, and then I write them. So like if you look at my website over the last couple of years, you know, my personal one that I haven't written much on is my articles tend to be more like big picture stuff. Um, I kind of piece things together before I start writing. So that's, that's a little bit different. Um, but to kind of your original question, you know, I think some of the common themes, you know, at least that Mike and I probably share in terms of how we've gotten to where we are is, you know, one, we focus on our craft, right. And the quality of our work and the, the depth and level of intensity to our work. Right. So, I don't think either of us have spent a lot of time just trying to gain as many social media followers as we have, right? Like that's, that's a byproduct of what we do, but that's not my focus, right? Like I have never, I've never bought clicks or likes or, you know, anything is I've focused more on, you know, the actual craft. Um, that's kind of, I've got a, I got a question in there because, and of course I don't want to sidetrack this too much, but we actually had this conversation recently with Sohi Lee, Eric Helms, and, you know, it's worth getting your guys' thoughts on it, too, because you basically hit on it. Um, I feel like a, a newish generation of fitness professionals, some of them, obviously Instagram tends to be the focus point for this, but they're very, very focused on building following. And credibility and career success uh, and following is a key metric for that. Whereas you guys are part of a, I guess, a previous generation of, of fitness professionals. I feel like that's the generation I follow have followed and identify with. I feel like uh, John Romanello is a really good example of that. Dean Somerset's a fantastic example of that. See, it's not going to be again. Uh, Brad, you, you get a Brett Contreras who obviously has also had the big following. And it feels like now there's a different approach versus the way you just described it, focusing on quality, the content. And one of the things that I've asked people is, does that make us right just because, as like Big Tuminello said, you sort of have this gatekeeper syndrome where we, the way that we did it, or the way you guys did it, because I'm not quite in your level for that stuff, does that mean that we're kind of being like Clint Eastwood on his porch with a shotgun yelling at kids, saying, <laughs> oh, these kids are, are doing it wrong and this is wrong. So what are you guys' thoughts on sort of the way that you guys grew up and did it in the industry versus what we're seeing more of in the Instagram space? I mean, I think that... I don't think your assessment's wrong, right? I think you've, you've hit on something fairly important. But I think a lot of it's, you know, where are your values yeah. personally and what do you want your career to be, right? I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer. Like, if, if the end metric is financial success and having a name, right, you can do it both ways, right? It, that's very clear. You can make millions of dollars building a social media following, putting together some products, figuring out marketing and selling stuff, Right. You can make a you can make a living going the opposite way, um, and it really depends on what are your values, what types of things do you want to do with your career, um, and and what is your foundation, right? So I think about it, you know, me personally, what I value, um, you know, I value my education, I value my training, I value my knowledge base, and I know that if if Facebook blew up tomorrow, if all the social media, I would still have those skills to go back on, right? I could walk into any clinic, any gym, and have skills that I can tangibly apply. Um, the other way is, you know, if you have a big marketing skill set and, you know, you figured out how to do that, if all those things were to blow up, 
you could probably transfer those skills into the next platform. So it's all just, there's no right or wrong way. It just really depends on what's your value structure, what do you want your career to look like, and the next iteration of whatever comes. At least that's how I kind of view it. I don't know, Mike, you probably, you know, you've kind of gone through the same experience. I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think there's a, a right or wrong. And I think the thing that people tend to forget, and I know I forgot this for a long time, and I just did a call with a potential client this morning, is that if I'm the one putting out the content, then I also get to decide what I like to do, right? For me, like doing a 30-second Instagram thing almost drives me nuts. I'm like, what the hell am I going to try to explain in 30 seconds? You know, I'm like, but if I get to write an article, even if I keep it only on one point, I feel like for me, that's what I enjoy doing because it allows me more freedom. I can express however I want. And and I know like video is super popular and I'm not against doing video, but it's easier for me just the way I've been trained to write and to try to get my thoughts out to be able to revise it and things like that. Right? I know other people are much better on video. They enjoy doing video and you know, that's awesome. I mean, to me, video I use more as uh, teaching almost like a course and things of that nature where I have it uh, be more interactive, just almost like teaching online. And like kind of what Brad said also is that I always think of, okay, what skill set can I have independently of technology, right? So the flip of this in the fitness industry is there's always some new technology and some of it's very useful, but I always think of what is the problem you're trying to solve first and then what technology works for that? Or a lot of people go, oh, look at this new cool thing. I got to figure out how to use it. It's like, well, maybe it doesn't solve any problem that you have. And if I can be sort of independent of all the technology, right? So that's why I do, you know, old school newsletter. Like the amount of the business consultants who tell me that that's like dying and I'm a dinosaur and I need to do more video. I'm going to slap them upside the head because um, I don't enjoy doing that, but I like writing. And if, like Brad was saying, Facebook blows up, Instagram blows up, whatever, I still have their email address. Hey, cool, I'll send them another newsletter, right? And if you go back to the history of direct marketing, I mean, people have been doing that for 100 years and have built pretty successful businesses doing it. So I think what is kind of technology independent? If you're really good on video, then you can probably transfer that to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. So I think build up the skill set first of how you like to communicate and then monitor to see if that is effective. If it's completely ineffective, then maybe switch mediums or maybe switch uh, how you're doing it. But give yourself that permission because you're not going to keep doing something that you absolutely hate. That's just going to be a, a very short-term thing. Well, and that touches on kind of what Brad was saying. And I, I don't know if this is – I guess if people put money first, they're almost restricted into how they go about doing that, especially with some of these platforms. Because if all you think about is money, there is – faster ways i'm sure in terms of marketing and and your ethics and morals and i think that if you don't put that first then you can kind of run on a different set of rules does that make sense because you can you can do the stuff you like because you're putting a lot of that stuff before money not to say money isn't important but if it was you might choose to do things a little differently if all you thought about was money you'd be yeah. making those videos yeah i mean like i've even run into this you know myself personally is you know there's there's a lot of what the message is that we try to put out as an industry, um, and I think what consumers say they want to consume, and then there's where the dollars go, right? And yeah. a lot of times those very much diverge, right? So like a good example, um, and I, I posted on this a while ago, is if you look at advertisements, right? One of the most objective ways you can 
gauge market interest is how much it costs you to get attention, right? And, you know, tested different body image types of advertisements, right? And there's been a big movement towards, you know, body image equality, et cetera. But yet the images of still the very unobtainable physiques get clicks at a, you know, a tenth of the cost of the other ones, right? So it's, you know, we also, when we're in this market and we understand those things, you know, we get to decide, you know, what's going to drive what, what we put out there. Um, you know, what's going to drive what content we write. Are we going to let markets and, you know, ROI and CPA and those things drive it? Or is it going to be the message that we want to resonate with people? Yeah. And we could say add on that too, is that it, it also depends on what kind of game you're playing. Are you in it for the short term and I just want a whole bunch of followers to make my ego feel great? Because I know of some people who kind of blew up on Instagram and then they went to actually sell a product to try to make money off it. And some of them fell just completely flat, right? Because they had a lot of likes and people were kind of sort of interested, but not enough they're going to part with any of their money. And of course, there's obviously exceptions to that too. Um, so I think if I look up, like you were talking about, I feel old now. But like when I was coming into the industry, like, you know, Lonnie Lowry, John Brardy, uh, Chad Waterbury, you go down the list, Eric Cressy, Mike Robertson, blah, blah, blah. You know, all those guys, and a lot of those guys are still around today running very big companies doing well. I mean, I think Eric Cressy has missed, what, two days of putting out content in like 12 freaking years or something. You know, I mean, all those guys have put out very high quality content and very frequently. I think the methods and mediums of how they do that change. But if I look to anyone who's been whatever you use as a marker of success in the industry for you know over a decade, I don't think I can even come up with an exception of someone who hasn't put out just a lot of content. Well, and I think that that might be where social media might embellish, I guess, people's success. Because you look at someone like sure. we'll just use Eric Cressy as that. They, he has a whole body of work for a lot of years and like he has a, like a legit business <laughs> like a, yeah. like two facilities cool. and like and I don't <laughs> think people understand the level of success that is because on Instagram he's like he's like a small small fish compared to the to like some some of the Instagram people and you would you wouldn't equate Eric Cressy with being successful if you only used Instagram as your metric you know right. what I mean because like no one knows who Eric Cressy is really on Instagram as opposed to, I, I don't know, name, name your fitness chick. So it's kind of, yeah, it's interesting when you say it like that. Here's a metric. I would argue that if you know baseball and you want to be trained to be a baseball player, I guarantee you know who he is. Yeah. It depends on the niche too. Yeah. I was going to use this as a metric. If you want a metric for success for Eric, uh, how about training both the National League and the American League Cy Young Award winners, you know, yeah. best pitchers in the league, right? That's your metric that really matters. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Brad, I sort of cut you off there because you mentioned something that obviously turned into an interesting conversation. But I was just curious if there was a little bit more that you had to say about some of the, the practices or, or philosophies that you had that led you to where you are. Was there anything else that you wanted to fit into that before we move on? Um, You know, one thing that I've always tried to do, and I don't know how successful I've been, is this idea of, you know, not getting trapped in the current spot you're in and adapting to what your, you know, new responsibilities are, right? I think a lot of people, you know, end up trying to do the same thing for a long time um, and don't adapt, right? So 
I think, you know, I follow my career arc, for example, you know, I did my PhD, I was in a lab, I did a fellowship, I kind of transitioned into industry. Um, you know, I started taking more of an, an executive role in, in ownership in a couple companies. And so that's kind of transitioned all my responsibilities along the way, right? Like I was doing primary research, I was working with humans, and I was working with animals, then I was, you know, directing kind of all the research in a laboratory, you know, and then I was, you know, writing my own content. And then I was, you know, not writing a lot of content because I was managing employees and doing leadership stuff. So I think, you know, your life will progress and it will change and trying to adapt and do what you need to do at the time really well. I think that's been another thing that I've tried to do. Um, you know, I don't know how successful I've been with that. You know, I think along with that has come, you know, some things have been dropped. Like my, my social media presence has not been super heavy over the last year, right? Because my focus has been elsewhere. But I think, you know, understanding that that's okay, right? And knowing that just know where you are and put your energy in the right spot. And I think that's really important for a lot of people. Even as opposed to like, because we've had a lot of people on that talk about like even that exact concept and, and a lot of newer professionals will be listening to this. And, and there's a lot of things to put your energy into. And I think that that's where a lot of people get lost because we're talking about Instagram and, and blogs and speaking, blah, 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 blah. And I think that what you said there makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people will get something out of that in the sense that what you're doing right now should be the most important thing that you're putting your, your eggs into, especially if like that's where you're at. And I think a lot of people don't know where they're at and that could be a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, you know, Mike touched on this a little bit earlier, you know, like I spend zero time on Instagram, right? Well, I post pictures of my dog on Instagram, but that's it, right? Like I don't, Zero. I don't have the, it doesn't make sense for me to put my energy into building my own personal Instagram profile. Like there's just no, that doesn't mean anything to me, my career, what I'm doing, all those sorts of things, right? It would be a good ego boost, but I don't feel like that's where I need my attention. Um, and I don't feel like the people in my life would get any value from me doing that. Um, you know, except from the people who like to see pictures of my dog, right? Like that's, that's an example of, you know, understanding where to leverage yourself and your time and your energy and your skill set. Yeah. And I think it's a good point too, because in, in Brad's case, right, it's more of a brand company that you're representing also, right? You're not uh, an individual per se. For other people like myself, I'm more of a quote unquote individual work with different companies, that type of thing too. Um, and I think that people need to be very clear about what they're doing. All right, mm -hmm. So if you're running a gym and that's your number one thing to do, you should probably be talking about the gym and how you're helping your clients there and that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, you can have some of your own personal stuff in there. I think it's fine. But again, it goes back to what is your goal? You know, what are you trying to do and uh, achieve? Um, so I think that's a good question people need to ask. And then the other part is what does success look like? Right. Do you want to have thousands of followers on Facebook? Cool. But what does that get you? Right. You know, what is the end goal? Are you trying to, you know, make a difference? Are you trying to make your ego feel better? Or do you want kind of both? Or I don't think there's right or wrong. It just be super clear, just like with training. Right. You're going to sit down with the person and be like, hey, what's your goal? Lose fat. OK, that's a good start. But what specifically? Right. So try to make it specific. Well, and understand that that could change, too, because. Sure. Because like you were saying, it's changed multiple times, probably for both of you, 
like Mike, you're 44, but like the world like, blogging probably was important back then, and not that it's not important now, but it's a little different. And I think that if you under, I, I think that just comes with understanding yourself and also the world. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I think we should switch gears a little bit. It's kind of the same actual concept, but this idea of and and we're bringing you two on because you have this, and it would be good to hear your viewpoint, but. The role of like how emotional support structures in your life, particularly the role your wives play in your career, like how does that affect you and where would you be without them? I know that's kind of a weird question, but like this is good for people to understand because you have really good support systems. And uh, well, you know, we'll start with Brad this time, <laughs> the young one, the one with all the, the wisdom. Yeah, so I'll... Uh... I'll start this conversation by just kind of putting my flag out in the middle and say, you know, I've been married for a year and a half and I'm 30 years old. So I know very, very little about the real world, <laughs> um, you know, no kids. Uh, so my life's fairly uncomplicated. Uh, but, you know, I think this is one of those, one of those topics that I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, and especially I don't think it's talked about enough in the industry that we specifically work in. Right. Um, and there's, there's a lot of challenges, right? I mean, we are, we're in a service industry. Um, we're in an industry that is very fickle. Um, you know, clients bounce from different program to different program, different coach to different coach. Uh, I, I think we would all, all acknowledge that's true. You know, everybody's always looking for the next, next best thing. You know, we have, we're not trained psychological professionals, but we deal with that on a daily basis. Um, you know, we have very difficult clients. You know, we hear a lot of stories from our clients. You know, we've got, um, you know, I think over the last two years, we've had close to 20,000 clients. So we've seen a lot of, you know, just things that happen in people's lives that we have to deal with. Um, and so I think, you know, we, as professionals, we deal with a lot of these things on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and it's it can be very emotionally draining. Uh, and so I think having a support system you know, that understands that is, is, is for me has been really helpful. I think if I was all by myself, um, I would, I would struggle a lot. You know, I wouldn't have anybody to talk to. There'd be no empathy sounding board. So I think that's a big thing. And then I think the other one is understanding the, the nature of our schedules, right? Like I'm sure, I'm sure Mike has experienced this too is, you know, I don't really get an off switch, right? Like Saturday, Sundays, clients still have needs, um, you know, and I've been, I've tried to set boundaries, but those still, those things still happen, right? Employees have needs on Saturdays and Sundays or, you know, three in the morning or nine at night, or, you know, you're out, <laughs> you're out at dinner with your wife and it's date night and you get a phone call, you know, your servers are crashing and your app is down. It's like, Okay, you know, these are all things that we have to deal with that, you know, we don't get to put our lives in a nice box. And then there's also, you know, the we have very much a physical appearance stigma too, right? So there there is that pressure of, you know, we as people who are faces of companies or, you know, you're your own face of your own company, you know, you kind of have that pressure too. And and that can mount and that can kind of change your life too. So having people who who understand those aspects and can support you um, is really really important yeah i mean i would agree with all that i mean i've been married for the nine nine years in march um and so i met my wife actually when i was just started doing my uh, phd which 
it turned out for the best, although I don't know if I'd recommend <laughs> that to anyone else. <laughs> um, and luckily, she was finishing her master's degree at the same time. So it's like, oh, okay, yeah, um, I'll talk to you in five days because I literally have no time to talk until then. And she actually understood that. It wasn't me just, you know, trying to blow her off and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, if it wasn't for her, I'd probably be uh, completely burnt out, like drinking too much coffee and yammering to coconut trees by now. I probably would have completely, utterly lost it, <laughs> which I was pretty close to doing that after my phd um i was pretty bad off for a couple of years after that um so yeah so i think like brad was saying having someone who <clears throat> helpful with uh, emotional support and in my case my wife works for me now so she's been working for me for about a year now which um you know has its challenges but overall has been really good and the main reason was she had a opposite skill set of what i had right so she had worked as an assistant for high level executives and things of that nature <laughs> She enjoys more the communication aspect. She has a master's in communication. The running joke now is I'll send clients uh, something, and she'll put little notes and stuff on in there. So a client will email me, and they're like, oh, yeah, and tell your wife thanks for the note. I'm like, <laughs> how did you know she wrote it? She's like, well, you definitely didn't write that. <laughs> and in my brain, I'm like, I don't know. You got what you wanted, right? I sent you the thing. You got the thing, right? You know, So like stuff like that that I just you know, don't think about at all. Um, so that's been super helpful from a business standpoint. Uh, she's been very helpful for me just to try to try to get more boundaries, which is one thing I initially I kind of vacillated back and forth. So when I started, I just gave up all boundaries. I'm like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, I'll just get it done. I'll work till two in the morning, you know, whatever it was. And then that obviously has a high cost with it. So trying to pull back from that. Um, so like the past two years, I've been trying very hard <clears throat> to be done by seven o'clock each night. I usually start earlier the next day, trying to be clear on, okay, I'm going to work Saturday until like two and then try to be done, turning your phones off earlier at night, you know, kind of all those things, which is not an easy thing to do because um, my default is I'll just drink more coffee and work more, you know, because I it's hard when you enjoy it also. It's not, you know, some things I like, some things I don't. Um, so even like I have not had an email app on my phone for two and a half years now. So yeah, I could get one if I had to, but I have to download it and get in and do all that kind of stuff. Um, if I were to start over, the advice I would give uh, trainers is be very clear with clients, like what is a boundary, right? Okay, I'm only answering emails between, you know, noon and 7 p.m. each day or once a week, or whatever. I don't think there's a right or wrong, but being very clear, okay, here's the expectation. Um, and one thing I'm trying to do on that is, you know, can I take a couple days off? You know, what is the expectation to clients? What is going to be realistic? And I think most of them at this point are pretty understanding as long as I kind of tell them what's going on. But I think it's very easy to kind of box yourself in and let it become kind of all-encompassing and that's harder to extricate your way out of so she's been super helpful with that um well anyone who's met jody would be able yeah to you guys have met her <laughs> yeah she's great right yeah. uh, we, we met and actually i mentioned i jody's intended to mention this later about like the we'll, we'll get into a question about like you guys as speakers and conferences and stuff sure. but yeah like I, I first met you uh in what 2017 in may at the kansas city fitness yeah. summit and of course jody was there right there with you no oh, god she's a ball of sunshine she's just so sweet and wonderful and yeah if anything you can really tell the degree to which she both compliments cool. and enhances your work uh and you know i guess she travels with you for a lot of the stuff you do yes. right 
yeah, yeah. So, and that's got to be really great so of course you talk about before about not going to spend much time with her talking to her i guess you get to make up for that now where you guys really get tons of time yeah and that's that's why she ended up uh working for me because one i needed someone else and two it's like well then we get to travel together uh, the flip side of that is also trying to make sure we prioritize time when we're not with anyone at all. Because in my brain, I'm like, I don't know, we just spent all weekend together. It's like, but we spent <laughs> all weekend together with you speaking at a conference with, you know, 100 other people. Mm. Well, like, yeah, but we're together, right? It's like, no, 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 this is a different thing. Oh. <laughs> and I, I did have a question on that, and it kind of ties into all this stuff, is that we have, let's just use emotional supports as, as the thing. But... Do you think there's a difference between having that in person and having it online? And and, and the reason why I ask that is because both of you are very involved with online stuff and you have a lot of people that you have in your networks that you probably use as emotional supports. But do you find that having that in person is different than having it via the Internet? Uh, I'll go first. I mean, my bias is I think yes. And what I've tried to leverage is the people I'm friends with online trying to set up more times to be with them in person. And then when I'm with them, trying to set up my schedule so that I'm actually there and not necessarily working all the time. So for example, this past week, uh, my buddy Luke came with, Luke Lehman from Muscle Nerds, uh, came with to the dissection course in Colorado. So I said, hey, why don't we get a place to stay? And the nice part was we both had our own rooms so we could kind of get away from each other if we needed to. Um, but I tried to set up the schedule so I'd either work early in the morning or later in the day so that we actually had some time just to kind of, you know, <clears throat> hang out independently of the class, um, which was nice. And or I think in the past, I probably relied a little bit too much on just online interactions. And then when I did have that in-person time, I felt like, oh, I just need to be working all the time. So trying to, to set that up to be more in-person focused. Well, and that's sort of similar to, I'm not going to say why Ben House created his thing in Costa Rica, but a lot of that sure. is it kind of becomes a vacation where we learn, but there's a lot of professionals there that it almost becomes an emotional support system for everyone there. You know what I mean? And you both are presenting at that, I believe in the same, uh, two different weeks actually, but. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great to, to be around that many other people. And especially I think that changing the environment, I think changes that. Because myself included, and I'm sure Brad can attest, and all you guys can attest to this, that strength and conditioning professionals, personal trainers, are like probably the worst persons yeah. on the yeah. face of the planet to take care of themselves. Yeah, they'll do the training, they'll do the nutrition thing, but in terms of lifestyle, in my experience, and I would throw myself in there up until the last couple of years, pretty horrible, right? So pull them out of that environment. To show them that, hey, you know, you don't need to work all the time. You can still hang out. We can go lift. We can have fun. We eat together. And I think when they come back, even like our buddy Kyle Dobbs, he's like, uh, I'm leaving New York. I'm moving back with my family to the Midwest. And he didn't even realize that until he had been down there for a week, came back and went, oh, my God, this is like a crazy environment I'm in. You know, so I think pulling people out, having that level of awareness so that they can then, you know, opt to do something different. <laughs> Oh, it's wonderful. If anything, like all three of you guys are married and, and I'm very much single and I won't delve too much into the... <laughs> he's gonna, are you, the he's so sad now. <laughs> the machinations of all that sort of stuff. Oh. Just, well, you know, like, We're you know, just like, you, you need that support system and you, you don't get, have it. Get that <laughs> and you know, I, I've had some interesting relationships in my life, what have you, but I, you, you definitely feel... This is the point I was going to say is, and I can tell that I bury myself in work and you hide within it and it sort of can 
masks some of the loneliness that you can kind of experience sometimes sure. in schools. So, and I think I, I framed the question, I asked the question for two reasons. One is because, you know, I thought Jody, I think the world of Jody, I think she's great. So I wanted to kind of put her into this uh, and showcase that. But also just because I find this really interesting where I know for a fact that I very much lack that support structure. So, um, and that's a more complicated conversation. I don't want to get too much more personal shit, but uh, I think I look at people who have those sort of things and I admire those kind of relationships. And I think that they're probably really, really great. Of course, what you see on the surface in everybody's situation is not always a truth. Sure. But I think at least with both of you guys, it shines through that you guys have really, really great lives well, and, and great support structures. They're not going to so. come on here and trash their wives on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so regardless... I I think the other important point, you know, you brought this up, Andrew, just now is, and I'm sure Mike has experienced this, is I, at times in my life, and probably even still currently, do use, like, your work and what you do and always being working as, like, a shield, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, sure. if, yes. you, if you're working, you don't have to deal with everything else, you feel like you're being productive, you kind of feel like you have this, this like, shield against the outside world, um, but what you don't realize is that's slowly eroding everything else around you. Right. And it very much is. Um, and you know, it's taken a lot of my wife to really show me that, right? Like I didn't realize a lot of that. I was like, no, I'm like, I have this work mindset and like, that's all I'm going to do. Um, and then, you know, people start to kind of call you on your own crap and you're like, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not doing this because I really love it. Sometimes I'm doing it because it is a shield from everything else I don't want to deal with. And, you know, having people that not only support you, but can also really have those hard conversations with you to kind of pull you out of that is, is also helpful, right? Like it's not, those relationships should not just be this like, Oh, everything's great all the time. And you know, everything's perfect. It's also like people, you need people who can challenge you and really break down a lot of those things that you either can't see or just don't want to deal with. Uh, I yeah. bet you there's a lot of fitness professionals who are probably to some degree very much within that realm or dancing around it too. And um, I think you see it, if, you know, you go and attend fitness conferences, which we're about to talk about. Uh, yeah, I think you get a whole bunch of like-minded people get together, a few beers, and you, you kind of get to see a bit more of that. So Yeah, and the part I would add to that too is that one of the big realizations I had was that, oh, you mean the behaviors that served me very well at the beginning of my life may not continue to serve me as well. Meaning that it's like when I was doing my PhD and working, it was like I was taking caffeine power naps in the back of my jet at nine in the morning, you know, just to make it through the day. Right. Because my thought was, I'll just work harder, get through engineering school, get through my PhD work. If I just work harder, drink more coffee, listen to more death metal, ah, it'll all work out. And you can do that for so long and you can be successful doing that whatever your marker of success is the hard part then is the change because your brain neurologically goes oh this is what i did to be successful therefore i must continue to do this to be successful yeah and to realize that okay at some point I probably need to re rewire that a little bit you know that i probably shouldn't exist sleeping five to six hours a night the rest of my life right there's other things you know, to, to do outside of that. And one of the questions to make it practical for trainers is I'll ask people, I'm like, okay, um, what do you do for fun? And you cannot say exercise. And like half the time they're like, uh, uh, they like have no idea. And like one of them, I got this from Ben house too, is that 
Okay. You want to take one hour a week for yourself. Go do something by yourself. I don't care what it is, but you have to tell me what it is, and you tell me the time. You can be play guitar, read a book in the park. I don't care. It can't be exercise. And it's amazing how, like, one hour a week for trainers is very hard to do. Um, so I think trying to prioritize that uh, downtime. And for me, I found if I go kiteboarding, it's almost like forced prioritization. Not only do I get to be outside, it's nice, I get to hang out with people. But when I'm kiteboarding, I have to be kind of focused on what I'm doing or some really bad shit happens. Um, but yeah, it's also fun. So it's a way to kind of find different activities for somebody that's playing an instrument, whatever, right? Something that puts you more in a flow state that's not exercise to kind of give you that comparison to kind of pull you out of your current state. I was going to say, even like we would just consider that environment, but the environment will show you that the current environment that you've been operating in has its flaws, especially sure. when you're going so hard at like, let's just say studying and you go play guitar in the park. You're like, Oh my God, this is what the other side's like. And you kind of almost yeah. need that input. And I think a lot of people don't get that input. If you get on that track of doing the same thing over and over again, that you forget what other stuff's like. Oh yeah. I, I think this is actually important to point out too. And I hope, you know, sometimes I feel like, these uh, these episodes of conversations can skew a bit more into speaking to our fitness professionals versus the enthusiast side. I hope that th this stuff transcends industry. So any Same. enthusiast who works in any other capacity, it, this stuff should be extraordinarily relevant. So I hope that people are able to grab onto that and don't always think that, hey, we're, we're targeting, talking specifically to the fitness professionals. Because I think we do as fitness professionals tend to like to speak in yeah. that. Now, Let's go on to, I mentioned, uh, you know, speaking at fitness events. So there's a few things. This is how I've met both of you guys. I mentioned, Mike, how I met you and your wife in May in 2017, the Fitness Summit. And then Brad, you know, I got talking before this, but we met in Spokane in, in April, right? So mm -hmm. uh, the previous April. And th both those events were great. So obviously my plan is to go to Spokane again this coming April. And you're there, right? I'm confirming that. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Good. And then, so Mike, you've got some stuff coming up. In fact, you've got something coming up in Vancouver just really, really shortly. So we wanted to ask about that. But let's go a little further into this. And A, like, how did you guys end up speaking, like setting out to become speakers at these sort of events? And, you know, highlight the great parts of the travel, that lifestyle, and some of the unseen challenges. Which we talked about off air with Brad. But like, <laughs> I think this will actually be good, though, for people like looking into this. Mike, you want to take this one first? Sure. Um, how I got into it was <laughs> the first time I think I did anything at a, I would say a bigger event, right? So a bigger event, more than 100 people, um, was I got asked in 2011 to speak at the ISSN conference on metabolic flexibility, which is my research <laughs> area. And at the time, I was a student. I literally had no money. And I asked the organizer, Jose Antonio, I said, hey, I get paid for this? I said, I feel bad asking because I said, I have no idea. He's like, well, if you can find a sponsor to pay your way, then yes. Otherwise, you'll get into the conference for free, but we don't pay speakers, which is you know, a very typical academic model for better or worse. I was like, oh, crap. So I said, <laughs> no, nah, man, I can't do it. And then I saw the lineup and I saw that uh, Lou Schuler was presenting. And I'm like, oh, Lou Schuler's presenting. Like one of my things on my list was, you know, get an article in Men's Health that Lou Schuler would edit. And I called Joey back and I'm like, um, yeah, I'm going to, I, I want to speak if it's still possible. It's like, oh, great. Because in my head, I'm like, if I'm speaking on the same stage Lou Schuler is, 
then we're kind of equivalent, even though we're not, right? I mean, it, it, it kind of seems like you are. So my whole goal was to stalk Lou Schuler at the event. <laughs> <laughs> and it just so happened that I, I walked in and I just ran into him. And we were both lost. We couldn't figure out what conference room to go into. And I said, hey, who are you? He's like, oh, I'm Lou Schuler. I'm like, oh, great, blah, blah, blah. And my next thing is I'm like, okay, he has to come to my talk. I must get Lou to come to my talk. <laughs> um, so I got him to come to my talk. And I sat around at the end talking to him, Dr. Lonnie Lowry, uh, one other guy. And basically it turned into a feature article on men's health about metabolic flexibility that March. And it so happened that Lou also organized for uh, the fitness summit. So I had gone to that the next year and just, you know, paid my own way, showed up as an attendee. And afterwards I was just asking him, I said, Hey, you know, how do you guys, you know, pick speakers? And it's like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. And then I started you know, presenting there the next year. Um, so, and I've gone to a lot of conferences before that where I wasn't a, a, a speaker, just, you know, paid money to show up. So I think that paying the money to, to show up and if you have the opportunity, even if it costs you money or a lot of times you have to pay to even just get that initial slot. And of course, obviously you have to, you know, do well. If everybody hates your talk, you're pretty much done then anyway. Um, but get that and then you can, I don't want to say leverage it from there. But then you can point back and say, okay, I spoke at this one, I did this one. Because it, people have to understand that if you're an organizer, right, so I'll get people that will be like, ah, bro, you got to get me to speak at such and such a conference. And I'm like, dude, I've never even seen you present. I don't even know what you've written. You know, I'm not going to put my name out there to vouch for you because if it goes bad, they're going to come after me and 100% rightfully so. Um, other people I've seen, you know, present multiple times and stuff, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, that's cool, right? So I think people have to realize that the hardest part is starting because someone's going to want to see you present and want to know what you've done before. So even doing free stuff, even doing local stuff, you know, just get better, put out some content. Um, and usually something will come come up uh, from that more organically um, versus trying to corral all your buddies to get you to vouch for, you know, this and that event is, I don't know. Part of that just kind of bothers me, especially when I don't know the people. You know, like if Brad came up and said, oh, hey, I'd like to present at this no. event, I'm like, cool, man, let's go. <laughs> I mean, it's no big deal, right? But if it's someone that I barely even know who you are, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> that like screws Andrew's next question. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my route to speaking was probably a little bit different. So I started my... I don't want to call it a speaking career because I don't, I don't really want to label it that. Um, we all know I, you make so much money from speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think this year it's cost me more to go to do all the speaking events than I've done from them. So, uh, that, that, I mean, that's the dark side of, of most of it. Um, but so I started my quote-unquote speaking career in, in academic conferences, right? So I was very heavily planted in the academic world. You know, I submitted abstracts. Um, some of them got accepted for poster presentations. Some of them got accepted for oral presentations. Um, so I started there and I also started just doing local things for free, right? Like I still remember my very first lecture I ever gave, you know, I organized it myself at a gym that I was training at. Um, and like I paid for all of it and I convinced a few of my friends to come like that was where it started. Um, so I kind of worked on my, my speaking skills. Uh, I started to present at academic conferences. I started writing a lot. Um, 
and you know people would read my writing work and then just you know professional connections um, and slowly you know had once had one speaking gig that went really well um, and then just you know when people needed spots filled or they were looking for speakers it kind of grew out of that but it it came out of doing a lot of really good work right there was I don't I don't ever remember, you know, asking somebody, "Hey, can I speak at this conference?" Yeah. Um, I don't ever remember like cold calling anybody. I mean, there was conferences I submitted things to that had like calls for speakers um, that got peer reviewed, but I don't ever remember, you know, trying to network my way into it. I tried to let the work stand on its own. So that was kind of that was my my. That doesn't mean it's right, but that was just what I did. I like that building the career. I'm getting echo here. Sorry. Building the career capital to then turn around and be asked. And I think like it goes back to what we talked about with social media. I really do think that the newest generation is sort of trying to skip steps and accelerate themselves into a position that they, they're, they haven't yet earned or accomplished. And I don't like criticizing an entire generation of, of trainers. And I don't think that's the case at all, but I just feel like, and I think it's a it's a mental shift. People will talk about millennials and and often in negative sort of ways. And I don't think that's right or fair at all. But there is definitely something about the millennial generation that wants to make an impact sooner. There's a definite shift in terms of, and of course they've got more tools to access people via social media. So that attitude is reinforced with media. So I understand where it comes from, but I still think there's a lot of value in actually building the career capital, getting the work done, versus skipping any of those steps does that make sense well yeah. yeah i was gonna say it even goes back to this conversation we had with eric helms and, and this is in the coaching aspect but you can do a lot of training online blah 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 blah. but like it doesn't replace the in-person experience of the coach's eye and coaching people and i would say that that goes the same yeah. thing with speaking because we have our phones or our podcasts and like we can talk like this but like this is a lot different than going and presenting in front of people and i, I don't know if that that distinguishing factors is necessarily known like you know what i mean i think that the career trajectory of things like social media might skew what they think that they're they're qualified for in terms of like speaking and presenting because like it is different it's a different beast yeah and especially i think it goes back to why people want to do that um this is just me just guessing but i think <clears throat> some people want to do it because it looks like the thing to do and i think think the assumption is that people make a ton of money speaking in the fitness industry which i haven't found that to be true <laughs> i wish it were true um i mean if i wanted to make money speaking i would do way better by speaking at private industries and the few events i've done which were private closed door only i made way more money doing that and no one even knows about them you know and that's you know only been a handful of time not that i'm against that i just don't actively seek that that was people who had sought me out to do specific things um so the more uh, public ones that look like they're super popular like it's great and i you know i love doing it and i'm fortunate at this point i usually break even and eh, maybe make a little bit but it's not something that i even now when i do financial stuff i really don't even really count on it to be honest um so i think that's different than what most people from the outside looking in would expect yeah, I mean, I think the other the other key point to bring up about speaking too is, you know, I think about what, why do I want to speak to people? Um, 
And usually what happens is I always go into those talks, not nervous about, you know, whether I perform well on stage or, you know, stumble through my words, but is it, am I bringing anything of value to people? Right. And that's something that, you know, I always try to anchor every talk that I give is, is what I'm saying worth an hour of somebody's time. Right. And if, as all of us know, you know, we all have one uh, non-renewable asset in our life and it's time. Right. And so for somebody to pay to be there for an hour, like I'm always very conscious and nervous about, am I giving people value? Right. Like, are they learning something? Not just am I entertaining? Them? And I think, I don't think a lot of people who want to get into speaking, that's, I don't think that's why they do it. Right. I think they want to get their name out there. I think they want to get in front of people. Um, but, you know, from my perspective at this point is I always try to, think about my my talks and my presentations as you know am i giving somebody value like is this worth an hour of their time oh and i mean that applies to this here anyone who's listening to this podcast i've always thought that people who listen to podcasts on like 1.5 or 2 times speed like i don't even know how you could do that i listen to books at 2 times speed <laughs> and i plow through them but actually like like this kind of human interaction, no. But yeah, it applies here. We have to make sure that this is not just entertaining, but it's actually got a lot of really great information and content. And, and we've been really lucky. We, we consistently get messages, very, very positive feedback about what we're doing. But I'm sure there's probably people who quietly slink away, like, ah, fuck, I'm tired of listening to those two fucking assholes. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. But I, yeah. No, I did. That that someone reviewed and said I, someone said I sounded like I'm drunk all the time. It was great feedback, and that's he actually been drinking. I, that's what I said. I was like, I was like, it wasn't five years; it was how, ten. How many? How many times in recording this? I've been drunk twice. One of it was our episode where wow. we just talked back and forth. I got into scotch, and then the other one would be the Chad Landers episode. How many times have you been drunk? Uh, it, was, it was the one time, and it was like the worst one. <laughs> The Jesky one. Yeah, yeah but we were at a episode. we were at an event, and then and like I realized like doing things drunk does not pan out well like luckily no. we have this platform where like it was loose and like we could do that and we're not promising anything sexy or informational um but yeah i didn't do that again we, we couldn't even print off the script because my printer wasn't working it was just like nuts that was that was one of the earliest or early stuff now no one's gonna want us to speak they're like these dudes just get drunk and do things yeah. You um, <laughs> you hear a lot of podcast uh, hosts talk about like going back to listening to earlier stuff and how like oh my god it was terrible whatever I actually think that a lot of the stuff we did fairly early on was quite good under the circumstances but we've gotten better in what fuck it it's creeping up on it'll be two years in August so it's actually not too right. bad that's pretty good really? we're in this what mid seventies on episodes um, we got to figure out which one this one is we don't but that probably know. is the same thing with you guys speaking you guys probably hate your old stuff. Speaking uh, why? Yeah, I mean, I I did this weird thing. I DJed in college at a metal station, so I would record <laughs> oh, yeah, my forgot. shows all the time. <laughs> I forgot. It's not surprising to anyone, right? Um, <laughs> and I would be in the dorms because I was an RA, and I would be listening to my shows, and people would stop by and go, "Wow, how big is your ego that you're listening to your own friggin' shows?" And I'm like, "Well, because when you're doing it, you, you like you mix some stuff, and you're like, that was great. You listen to it like." That was a train wreck. What the hell was I thinking? Or other stuff you think is just horrible was like, oh, it wasn't too bad. Um, but yeah, even watching my own video presentations, I have a really hard time doing that. I've done enough audio where I can listen to my own audio sometimes, but 
Um, I have to force myself to watch uh, video recordings of stuff, and it's... They made us do yeah, that in college. Still working on that. They made us do it in college <laughs> when we were in teaching school, essentially. Like, you had to film your lesson to your peers, nonetheless. Like, you've never taught in the classroom, so they're going to make you teach in front of 40 of your peers all doing the same thing. You have to record yourself, watch it, and write an essay on all the stuff. It was the worst experience. It, it oh, was a good yeah. experience, like it really was, but it was horrible. Like, you have to watch <laughs> yourself do all the stupid shit. Things like that. Um, um, and then, like, these... And we can't see that on this, but I, I, I even watch that now because I'm, like, evaluate people. But I'll see, like, people move their hands and stuff. It's the worst. Anyways. I don't want to shit up too much, but it's like our prime minister. The, the guy strings together more ums and uhs than he actually forms words <laughs> when he talks. Uh, but uh, forget that bullshit. So, real quick, the events that you guys have coming up so mike uh what's going on in vancouver and you're back at i just saw a post today you're back at the fitness summit in may and brad you've got uh spokane at the inland empire in mid april so guys what's going on with these events yeah i'll be doing uh, i'm just checking my calendar here a two-day seminar in vancouver the 9th and 10th of february um, all about intermittent fasting ketones and the role of carbohydrates <clears throat> So trying to figure out, you know, what is true, what's not true, uh, what are the true benefits to fasting, what are not, how does ketosis play a role. Uh, Two-day seminar, trying to make it practical. It's mostly for kind of more trainers, high-end fitness enthusiasts, and trying to make it, like I said, as practical as we can, you know, probably have them write some sort of meal plans, nutrition plan, and like Brad was saying, I'm super excited to do it. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like when you're doing two days and you're the only person there, which I've done before, man, I just feel like this, like this stress, like someone's going to ask me about the one freaking paper out of like the 400 that I didn't read, I'm gonna ask you know, you. or all you, you get kind of sometimes caught up in your own brain of those little things at the end of the day, probably don't matter uh, that much. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited to do that. And that's <laughs> through the, the fine folks at Somatic Senses. Cool. Where do people find if they want to look at that and possibly sign up for it, where can they find it? Because that's the one that's coming up right away. Yeah, um, the best place is they can just go to my website, MikeTNelson.com, and there'll be a calendar on there. So they'll be able to scroll down and be able to find there, and that'll take them directly to the website and the sign-up and everything there. And it's in Canada, which we have like a lot of viewers Vancouver. there. Yeah, which is pretty sweet. We don't get many speakers. Like Brad won't even come to Canada. It's it's too too small for Brad. They don't let him cross the border now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of cool that we're like somatic senses is kind of a, I I know Ben, but like it's kind of yeah. sweet that we get some of these presenters here. And I think there's more planned with some of like, over the year. But it, it's just kind of nice because it is hard for us in Canada to travel to some of this stuff. Like I mentioned, we're going to Costa Rica, but like that's like the only place I can go and see all these people without spending like fifteen two thousand dollars to go with the summer on the stage, which I will totally do. And people should totally do, but yeah, anyways, it's in Canada. So anyone in Canada should look it up. Yeah. And that was the biggest complaint I heard too, is that, well, you never present in Canada that much, you know, the cost of the exchange rate and all that stuff. And I totally agree. So now people have their chance. So show up. fuck you, Brad. <laughs> Screw you, Brad. You, you hear this sort of thing, but then people, speakers come around and they don't take advantage of it. I mean, you know, yeah. Dean Somerset is here locally in Edmonton, and Dean would put something on here. Him and Tony, and I'm going to bring them on uh, in advance of that too. So we'll talk cool. about it. They're they're more complete hip and hip and shoulder yeah. uh, blueprint, right? Whatever they're calling it now, they revamped it. And I think that's fuck. It's it's May or June anyway here at uh, I think they're doing it at Evolve downtown, one of the Evolves uh, in Edmonton. And 
I'm really hoping there's a massive turnout, but even Dean sometimes like posts it locally. And it's like the local training community doesn't even realize you have literally one of the best fucking yeah. personal trainers, <laughs> fitness professionals in the world. This guy is that good. And you don't even have to fly, book a hotel room and you're skipping out on this shit. And this shit drives me nuts. I'm flying down to Dallas on Friday to go and right. I'll finally get to meet Dr. Lane Norton, who's been a cool. big influence on me for a long time. So Healy is going to be down there hanging out. Uh, you mentioned Jose Antonio. It's an ISSN event. So you mentioned yeah. that. And Brad Schoenfeld is going to be there. So, and I haven't met any of those guys yet. So this is a cool opportunity. It's for one day, I'm popping down Friday. I'm coming back Sunday. And that's going to probably cost me at least two grand just to do it in January when I'm flat out busy. And I'm excited for this. So I think more people are missing out on opportunities a lot of the, this whole podcast, meeting both of you guys and a lot of industry friends, and I, I'll use that term friend because there are so many of our guests who I actually know on a personal level and we get along great that I've met because of these know. kind of events. So people who don't take these opportunities and they're wondering why, why is my career not taken off? My fucking career took off because of this. You got to pay up. You got to pay for the secrets. And I know that sounds so horrible, but like we're going to talk about free content in a bit before we close up, but like. Like you got to support some of these people because this information isn't like you, you can't read an article and know some of this shit. Like you got to pay your three, four hundred bucks, and like it's better than some of the other shit people buy. Like my university degree cost me like I don't know, <laughs> like a stupid amount of money, and that's with scholarships for football. So I mean, like, and I learned nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And my point, real quick, and I'll let Brad talk, is that people have to realize that it's a business like anything else. Yeah. So if so-and-so shows up in your city and you don't go and only five people show up, hey, do you think they're going to come back again? Probably not, right? It's like you want to see your favorite band and they come to your city and you're like, dude, I can't make it. They sell 100 tickets. I know people who run bands. They're probably not going to come back again, right? Just because it doesn't financially make a lot of sense, you know? So I think people kind of, as a sad reality, people don't want to talk about, but it's just, you know, it's how the world works, so. Yeah. A Brad, Brad, I gave a few in, inland, inland. Yeah, so we've got the uh, Inland Empire Fitness Conference that's coming up in April. Um, I think it's is it in April or March this year? I haven't it's in April. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. April. It's Tim, April. don't listen to this. It's like, like, it's like every year, it's like right around that time, and then like I always know like what weekend it is as we get closer, but it's always like early April, uh, late March. But yeah, so that's coming up in Spokane. That's going to be a ton of fun. Last year was awesome. Um, lots of great people. I got to meet Andrew there last year. Um, so I'll be presenting there on metabolic adaptation. Um, so I'm going to be, I'm going to try to do my best to cover that topic. I think it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge to really do it justice, but hopefully I can, uh, pull that together and pull that off. Um, and then I'm headed to Costa Rica in March. I was gonna say, you both are you both are going there. So for anyone like I'm, I'm going to. I'm not speaking like these guys. I'm just gonna okay. consume. But I think Brad, you're during the strength week, and Mike, you're during the functional med week. You guys can touch on right. that too, since you're both gonna be there. I yeah. Guess. What do you do? You know what yeah. you're presenting on yet, Brad? Yeah. So the topic of my talk is, it's loosely about robustness and evolution. Um, so mm. I'm, I'm hopefully going to be talking a little bit about how biology actually works um, and how we think about in the context of nutrition, training, um, adaptation, et cetera. So it'll be – a talk's going to be a little bit more theoretical than my other talks that I usually give, but it'll be, it'll be interesting. So we'll see how that one goes too. I haven't, I haven't finished all my ideas for that yet, so we'll, uh, I still got to pin down the last few details of it. Um, 
but yeah, so that'll be fun. Mike, yeah. are you kind of what are you? I'll be there the first week. Uh, let's see, the first week will be myself, uh, Dr. Brian Walsh, Dr. Ben House. I'm probably doing probably doing the broad topic of physiologic flexibility and what is a working paradigm you can use to kind of measure that and look for intervention points. Uh, so looking at something, I just made up a term called human dynamic range, right? And how it applies to different uh, aspects of homeostatic control, right? So in English, that means like if I'm looking at temperature, what are things I could measure? If I'm looking at stress response, what are things I could measure, right? How far can I push the system from one end to the other end? Can I expand that range over time across different physiologic systems to make it uh, more robust. So I may not even compare any notes with Brad, and I'm super interested now <laughs> after I heard his topic to see if we're even close. Well, he may present something that's like completely 180 degrees different. Are you, are you staying? Cool. <laughs> are you staying both weeks? Because I know Brad's only there for the one. Are you? Are you there for both? Yeah, I'm just presenting the first week, but I'll be there for both weeks. Nice. You, think you, you can take talk. notes, and you can be the guy in the background asking Brad. Brad, actually, did you hear my talk last <laughs> week? <laughs> I'll bring my glasses so I can pull them up when I answer questions. Uh, I'll be just watching Brad the whole time, and they'll be like, I'm like, oh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. What's really interesting about the whole, like, traveling and speaking thing is, you know, Mike brought up some of the points of, you know, if, if it's not a big attraction, people, you know, you probably won't go back. You know, the other thing is travel itself is tough. Like, yeah. it takes a toll, especially if you have a family, you know, if you've got companies to run and employees and clients and, you know, you're taking time off, um, you know, it's, especially if you go overseas, it's like 24 hours that you're pretty much, you're just, you've lost, you know, both ways. Uh, and then I don't know about you, but when I travel, it's like, it's really hard to get work done. You know, it's, yes, you're just exhausted, jet lagged. It's hard to stay focused. Hotel rooms are, you, know, you can only do so much work in a hotel room. Um, so it's, it's, it's just a, it's a different beast and it's kind ran the gauntlet it's it's hard to describe to people well and that's why i don't want like this obviously be, it seems like it becomes a psa like support your fitness professionals but like i think that not a lot of people hear this stuff like like even if we talk about emotional supports and stuff these people are traveling away from all that to do these things and like they do pop up and i, I think a lot of it is not everyone knows about it but like there's a certain cost involved with some of these things but like it's well worth it and that kind of goes into my next question about free information but like all this stuff at these seminars ends up being, I want to say all the good stuff, but like you can't really learn something or, or hear what people have to say unless it's like for a longer period of time than an article. And I think that a lot of these presentations that you guys do, they're good and they're, they're hour longs or two hour longs, but they get to interact with you and they get to be with you for a while and kind of let it all sink in. And I think that that's where the value of this comes in. Which leads to my next question is that you guys both share, like you guys share a lot. Like Mike has 500 articles that aren't even written and he shares a lot, <laughs> but Brad has, Brad shares all of it and doesn't leave them in the woodworks, but they're strong examples of like, we've talked about this before, an abundance mindset. So would you guys kind of offer your thoughts on the problem with the opposite end of that, the scarcity mindset in our world and, and kind of your advice for others about free content creation and ways to generate revenue streams for professionals? Because it's the opposite end of the spectrum of what we just talked about. Yeah. Go ahead, Brad. Or do you want me to go first? You can go first. I'll <laughs> let you handle this one. All right. Sure you um, You've been doing it for years. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I don't... There's probably... There's always exception to rules. There's always outliers. But yeah. if I look at most of the people in the fitness who are successful, 
they put out a lot of really good um, content, you know, daily, weekly, monthly for a long period of time. The caveat I will add to that is one of the mistakes I made was years ago, my thought process was, hey, if I just put out tons of free content, people will eventually buy my stuff. Yeah, to some degree, but not as much as what I thought. So I did a lot of uh, more hard teaching. So soft teaching would be, and I stole this from Ben Settle, is, okay, intervals are great, guys. You should do intervals, go high intensity, and that's going to be great. Here's the benefits, right? Uh, hard teaching would then be, all right, here's the specific Tabata protocol as much as I don't like it, but here's exactly how long to go, exactly how long to rest, and... In my head, I thought, okay, if I'm giving out free content that's hard teaching, man, I'm providing more value. They're going to love me more. And all I got was an inbox full of, oh, bro, I can't do that Tabata thing you said because my right knee hurts. What should I do instead? Right? All I got was like questions. And then I got pissed. And I went and followed up with all these people who asked me all these intricate questions and said, hey, how did that interval go now that we changed your exercise 17 different times to find one that worked for you? Oh, bro, I never really got around to doing it. <laughs> so, so I found that like my ego liked it because I'm like, oh, man, I'm providing all this content. I'm going way farther than everyone else. I'm more hardcore. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Like if, if my end goal is to actually elicit a change in someone, I'm actually sucking pretty bad. So I said, OK, newsletters, articles, I'm only going to do mostly soft teaching if I'm on a podcast or a medium that kind of lends to more hard teaching, I don't have a problem doing that. But in an article, it's pretty hard to get that specific. And then hard teaching is more in paid products, right? So I said, okay, newsletter, here's the free stuff. They still learn concepts. They still learn stuff to do. But I found that if someone has to pay for something, right, so they have <clears throat> skin in the game, they're much more likely to do it. And I have no problem supporting those people either. And I'm sure Brad's very similar. Okay, if you paid a lot of money to do my certification, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you because you have demonstrated, you know, via money and your time, which are both very important, that this is a serious thing for you and you are going to then um, apply it. So I think free content is good, but I look at kind of the scale of what's the next action I can get them to take. I put an article out on Facebook. Okay, that's cool. Can I get them to opt into my free newsletter? All right, so that'd be the next thing. Okay, they're on a free newsletter. All right, cool. So I'll have some offers once in a while. Do they actually, you know, buy something to kind of take them to the next level? So I think having some type of scale that you kind of move people through um, is going to be helpful. Where, you know, 10 years ago, I'm just like, ah, just blast them all free content and everything will work. Yeah, it, it does do a certain degree, but like all things, right? It'd be like, ah, deadlifts are the greatest, just deadlift. Well, there's a specific way to deadlift. There's probably a specific way of how often to do it. There's probably a little bit better way to present it, too. And Brad. Yeah, so this is a this is an interesting question. Um, and it kind of ties in with a lot of different thoughts I have. You know, one, I think, I think free content um, definitely has its uses, right? Especially earlier in your career. I think it's a really good tool to, to learn to communicate. Um, it's a really good tool to get feedback from people. And it's a good way for you to get your thoughts out into the marketplace, right? Um, but I think the idea of free content as a marketing tool for 
people who are professionals, right, is not is not the best use of most of our time. Um, and I I start to think about it, you know, when I think about like a lawyer or a doctor, you know, is have you ever have you guys ever like pick up the phone, call the lawyer, or email the lawyer? It's a very expensive. Yeah, I know. Right? Like they they will bill you. You send an, you send an <laughs> email and to. it's 150 bucks for the email you back, yeah. right? Because oh yeah, you're paying for their expertise and their time. Um, and so you know, I think I think free content is a great way to hone your craft. I think it's a really good way to learn. I think it's a really good way to you know get feedback, and I think it's a great way to kind of cast a really wide umbrella for an audience. Um, but I don't think your core of who you are needs to be given out for free. Um, and I think, I think that part of the issue that we've run into is our industry is so accessible. Um, I think there's so much free information out there that we've kind of had a race to the bottom, right? Um, and I think that is, has made people who have spent you know, a quarter of a million dollars on their education is viewed on the same playing field as somebody who has nothing but a blog and a computer, right? And I think that really, you know, people may say that's hyperbole, but I think that's true, right? Um, and so I think, I think that's becoming an issue. And I think what's happening is until we start to retrain the marketplace to value a lot of what we do, I think we're going to be trying to climb back up from that. Well, that's a, um, that was a big thing is like that whole section is retraining it because because everything's so easy accessible, it's hard to convince people to spend money. But when you go to these things like and, and I know just from my experience, like it's like on I call it like the secret society, but like you go to these things and it's the same people. But we all know all the stuff and then everyone seems to be left behind and then they ask all these questions. But it's like literally you have to go. Like all the smart people aren't giving you everything. In it, but they don't know that because all the stuff is so easily accessible. It's all face level stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And you know what's interesting though is it's like at least here's my perspective on it is you get what you invest, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't think that always means time. Or I don't think that always means money. I yeah. think it means time. I think it means relationships. I think it means, um, you know, a lot of stuff. Like, you know, I can't tell you how many people come to my house to stay when they're flying around the country, right? Like Mike, I did. Yeah. Mike drove through and he just <laughs> he just stayed at my house, right? And I was like, dude, come on over, totally fine. Um, you know, I have colleagues who you know will fly into the United States. They'll come through. They'll stay at my house. Um, you know. I've, I've hosted like conference attendees at my house. You know, I've, I've paid my way to go speak over in Europe. Um, you know, like I've invested time and money and energy to network with people who have the same, who try to bring the same level, the same level of skill, the same approach to their work. Um, and I think what, when you talk about free content, I think it really starts to, it's not just the idea of it being free, but it's the level of, professionalism that's present there um and i think that really does you know make a big difference um and i think your mindset of how you approach things changes a lot um you know i like i know that for me like if i pay somebody to do something what i expect from them is way different than if i just ask them a question um you know that that's like that goes with a doctor a lawyer an architect a real estate agent you know whatever the profession is when you start to put value in it that relationship changes right like I mean, Mike, you know, those emails you get from people, 
and you respond to them and they're not paying you anything, what's your level of detail and professionalism compared to somebody who's paying you $500 for an interaction? Right? Yeah. It's, it's completely different. And not that you blow the person off who, you know, is asking you a free question because um, I'll still respond to emails, but you know, the, the level of what energy you put into somebody is dependent on their investment. And sometimes that's money. Sometimes that's time. Sometimes that's just the relationship. Um, so that's where it starts to really differentiate. And I think that the money piece is just an indicator of value and investment. Yeah. Well, and I, I would say for me, a lot of it was I had to change my expectation. Right. And I agree 100 percent with what Brad was saying. The fitness industry is probably the only place that puts out that much free content where it's almost expected. It's probably never going to change until the consumer actually votes with their dollar, just like any other industry. Um, it's kind of sort of changing. But so like on my newsletter, the reason I do most of the stuff through there is because I can communicate whenever I want. I can communicate to people directly. And it's those people who did one step beyond just a free content on the site that says, hey, I want more information. The second thing I probably value the most other than my credit card and my time or third is probably my email address, like a legit actual real email address, not a fake one. So if they don't want to give me that, then I'm probably not going to do a ton of stuff for them. Even then, do I expect them to do everything I say? No, not at all. But if you're going to pay me several hundred dollars a month, like Brad was saying, I then expect you're going to do the work. And then you also have the expectation that I'm going to do everything I can to get you to that point. Right. And it's, it's no different than any, any other industry that, that point. And I think a lot of times consumers forget that they're voting with their dollar as how much they are committed. Right. Cause I've, I'm sure we've all had this. We have people who may not have the most money in the world, but it's a very high priority that they want to achieve bigger deadlift, body comp, whatever it is. I mean, I've had you know grad students pay my fees. I've had people who I know make a quarter of a million dollars a year who said it was too expensive. It wasn't necessarily the money. It just wasn't a big enough priority for them, or they didn't believe that I was a person that could get them to change. Well, so. that was one thing like we talked about back at the beginning and kind of to tie it all together was where does your value system lie? And if it's in money, it's a certain way. And neither of you said that charging content is so you guys can become rich. It's almost to gauge the seriousness. So that relationship of education yep. allows you to do what you love. Because you could sell people a high price product and give them no attention and make more money. But that was never portrayed. And I think that that just kind of attests to why we bring certain guests like you guys on because of that value system and what you're paying for and this is totally like a sales pitch, but you're paying for that relationship. And like, that's worth more than a lot of things in this industry, which are free. And I think, yeah. We, yeah. I mean, I mean, Mike and I both with our, you know, scientific background and quantitative background, I could go to wall street and make half a million dollars a year. Absolutely. Just being an, just being an analyst. Like if it was about money, like why would, why would I write an article about metabolism on my website for free? That took me six <laughs> hours. Like I could go bill, I could go bill $400 an hour being an analyst and make 2,400 bucks at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know we got to wrap this thing up. We're actually like right on time. This is like, I'm not asking you about books though. We usually do a book question, but you guys have both been on before. And I, I honestly, <laughs> like, I don't really give a fuck about your books this time. Um, what I do, <laughs> what I do want is I want you guys to, and we'll start with you, Brad. Um, just let people know and remind them where they can find you online and where they consume your content. And then after we'll have Mike do it and then we'll wrap it up. 
Yeah, um, you can find me at eatperform.com. Um, you can find me at Science Driven Nutrition, uh, which I have not put an article out. I just pulled up my website because I was like, when was the last time I published anything? <laughs> we'll just say it's been a, it's been a hot minute. Um, Come on, Brad, I want more of your free content for free. Come on, <laughs> man. Um, yeah, you can find me there, or you can just uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm pr- I'm pretty accessible, so you can pretty much find me anywhere. Nice. Mike. Yeah. Uh, best place is just the website, MikeTNelson.com. If you go to the top of the website there, there'll be a little offer. You can hop on the newsletter for free, and I give you some cool stuff. Uh, if you're interested in the certification, it's just uh, Mike. Or I'm sorry. The certification is FlexDiet.com. F-L-E-X-D-I-E-T.com. And those are probably <laughs> the best few places. I sometimes disappear from social media for days on end. So... <laughs> Well, we obviously like, really appreciate you guys coming back on. You know, it gets to the point, like I, I talked about, like banking friends industry. I consider both of you guys really good friends. And, you know, anytime you guys want to be on for something, uh, that's an automatic for sure. This was super. I hope everybody loved it. Uh, guys, if you're not following these guys, please, like, it's it's very rare that I could turn around and, and I won't say specifically, but say any guest we've ever had on, don't follow them or they didn't turn out <laughs> to be quite what we wanted it to be. There's been like uh, two. It's probably been two. The people that we pulled on here uh, are are great people. They're industry professionals who we respect the hell out of and we want to share with you guys. So give them uh, a look. You know, it's funny. We know what I'd never do this, but, you know, if anyone's listening, if they actually want to follow our social media because we fuck around too, uh, Andrew Coach Fitness on Instagram or follow me on Facebook. I I tend to write more on Facebook. And, of course, Guido Power on Instagram. And he writes on his Facebook as well. So we're actually pretty accessible. And, uh, you know, Thank you to listeners, guys. We really appreciate you checking this out. If anyone is finding this for the first time, Brad's been on three times, once with his buddy, our buddy James Krieger, and once solo, and then Mike is on his second appearance too. And we've named a bunch of other people who have been really cool guests. So uh, hopefully you'll check out another episode we've done recently, something fun. And if you like it, subscribe to us. uh, Give us a five-star review. Those are always really appreciated. Thank you so much, boys. Yeah, Yeah, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Awesome Yeah, it was a blast. See you guys. Shut up and sit down.